This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. Today we'll be talking about how plants talk to you, not using the language we use, but in other ways. Their leaf's color, their stem color, the condition of their leaves, their stature, how they move in security in the ground, all have a meaning if you're willing to listen to them. All this and more on today's Desert Horticulture. One thing that really surprises me when I talk to people, it's uh, not just here in the United States, but in other countries as well. These are agriculture, even the agricultural producers. So many of them don't look at their plants. They are much more willing to uh, look at a textbook or guidelines for growing certain plants, whatever it is, than to just look at their plants. The first thing that I do <clears throat> is I, I look at at the plants that are growing in front of me and I make some judgments. How green are they? How much growth did they put on? What's the condition of their leaves? Are they happy in that spot? Or are they unhappy? Are they in the right spot? Very important questions when we're talking about the desert and the desert, uh, harsh desert environment. But one of the biggest factors, probably the two biggest factors that I look at in plants, and again, I'm not talking about plants actually talking to you. If you, if you are waiting, you're going to wait a long time before plants are going to start talking to you. But they'll send you other signals, and that's what I'm talking about. Are these other signals, the leaf color, the stem color, uh, how much growth was there, the leaf thickness, um, problems, scorched leaves, uh, yellow leaves, <clears throat> whatever it might be, suppressed growth. Uh, are they attached firmly in the ground or not? Yeah, the whole idea of whether you have a healthy soil or not is another topic for another time. But let's talk about the plants themselves. Uh, one of the first things I look at and that strike me when I'm looking at plants in a landscape or any situation, any location, is how green they are and how green are they supposed to be. Some plants don't have to be as green as others, but that green color is an indicator of the nitrogen content of, that, of those leaves, of those plants. How, how much nitrogen is present inside the leaves? How healthy are they? <clears throat> are they rapidly growing or not? Uh, growth is another subject. You know, um, the International Rice Institute at uh, University of Philippines in Los Banos, that is the premier rice research institute in the world, uh, has, uh, has provided some leaf color brochures for farmers. Uh, you can go on their website, IRI, I-R-R-I, uh, University of the Philippines, Los Banos location. But Erie, the International Rice Institute, provides some educational tools for farmers who are growing rice on fertilizer applications. And to get good rice production, just like any vegetable, and we're talking about grains now, of course, but just like in vegetable production, the, uh, the richer the soil, the more robust the environment is for growing these plants, 
the better they'll do and the more productive they'll be. <clears throat> so Erie supplies a, uh, a color chart that basically says if you don't have this color green, if the green color <clears throat> of your leaves in your rice field are not this dark green, then at some point, and they tell you when with the color of the leaf, you need to throw out some broadcast, some nitrogen fertilizer to get that leaf color back up again and get it productive, maximizing its yields. So leaf color, and even in research, the research that I've done in the past has been with NDVI, uh, looking at what we call spectral analysis. When we're looking at the spectral analysis of grasses, like on golf courses, the darker green color will mean that, uh, that they are actively growing and they have enough Usually the, the green color is attached to a, a nitrogen. It's very difficult. You know, when you're growing plants, they have 16, 17 elements. And the only one that you can really easily pick up on a spectral analysis or the color is really nitrogen. And that nitrogen is the most limiting fertilizer for plant uh, production. If we are putting down enough nitrogen... <clears throat> we'll see an increase in production to a point. And that's where we want to do is maximize our profits from that field by optimizing our production. Well, we can do the same thing. We can talk about the same thing in yards, in landscapes. <laughs> when the color of certain plants are off, it can mean that they need to be fertilized. They need an application of nitrogen. If uh, the soil is covered in rock, for instance, there's not much that's sloughing off uh, to feed that soil. That soil can be drained fairly easily of nutrients. Uh, but when we're covering the soil with wood chips, uh, they disintegrate in the presence of water. And as they disintegrate and they melt into that soil, they release a lot of nutrients to the soil. The one that they aren't going to release because they're wood and, and brown and woody is nitrogen. So we'll have to supplement them with a nitrogen fertilizer. Your favorite, it can be an organic source, it can be an, a mineral source, it doesn't matter. Uh, which one you use, it's just your personal preference on top of that. And if you want to stick with a, a high nitrogen organic fertilizer, then You'll probably pick a, a blood meal or one of the guanos. Um, <clears throat> if you're vegan, you'll probably use uh, something high in nitrogen uh, that can disintegrate in that soil. That's not animal related. That doesn't come from an animal source like guanos and manures. Maybe you'll use seaweed kelp or something like it <clears throat> to release that nitrogen that the plants need. But the leaf color... I went out to the Ahern Orchard, and after I had been at our farm in the Philippines for about a month, I went out there, and my gosh, it was so dark green, I could tell that they had fertilized not too long ago. They have uh, some fertilizer injectors in the orchard. <clears throat> so I knew that they had gone through and, and fertilized. In fact, when I looked at all the trees, they all looked pretty dark green. So that told me that they were 
fertilized not too long ago. They had an application of a fertilizer in the injector and it went out through the drip tubes and fed the plants and bumped up their nitrogen levels of their leaves. They were extremely, almost to the point where it hurt my eyes from uh, in a desert environment because you're surrounded by so much uh, other, so many other colors besides green. So leaf color can be a, a very accurate measurement of the nitrogen content of a plant. And if we're looking at producing something from that plant, whether it's vegetables or herbs or whatever it might be, uh, rice if you want, whatever it might be, if we're really looking at, at a production level and we want to encourage the growth of that plant, the nitrogen is probably going to be mo the most limiting the lim most limiting nutrient uh, for plants for growth. And the others are going to be incidental. Uh, they may or may not be present in enough quantities, but nitrogen is that key ingredient that's going to push the dark green color and push growth, uh, push, push a lot of growth. If we want a slow growth, we, we don't apply, apply as much nitrogen fertilizer. When we want to give that growth a kick in the pants and we want it to really start taking off, we'll go ahead and add fertilizer to the soil. That can be in side dressing if the plants are up high enough. It could be broadcast in the case of some of the grasses, for instance. But in any case, we're going to add that nitrogen fertilizer, that first number on the fertilizer bag. But color is your key ingredient on nitrogen content at the present time. Now, what do I look for when I want to know what the history of nitrogen application was earlier in the season? Well, that's when I go and start looking at the growth I start looking, growth can be affected by, in, in the desert and arid regions, by water management as well. But typically if water is not an issue, if the application of water is not an issue, then nitrogen is going uh, to be that, probably that one nutrient, plant nutrient, that's going to hold everything back. So if we're talking about vegetable production, if it's leafy green production, if these are leaves like spinach and lettuce and things like that, then uh, mustards, then of course we'll want to feed nitrogen at a fairly consistent level all the way through its production time from start to finish. So once a month, for instance, we'll go ahead and lightly apply some nitrogen to that soil in order to boost the production. If we take, we give, right? If we take something away from the plants, we're going to give it something. We're going to give it something to boost its nitrogen content in the soil because that's where the roots... It is possible to go through and, and a lot of the nitrogen fertilizers... Um, I, I can't answer that too much on the organic. You'll have to read the label on that, on, on your organic. But a lot of the nitrogen fertilizers readily dissolve in water. So they can be sprayed on as long as you don't go too heavy. They can be sprayed on the leaves and, the, and as, long as, as long as there's, a, there's some sort of, a, uh, of, a, of an additive to the water that helps them move, the nitrogen move inside the plant tissue, uh, like an adjuvant, uh, a wetting agent, then that nitrogen will move inside through the leaf surface and inside the plant. You can apply it as a foliar application. You can apply it to the soil. As long as you're bumping, as long as you are constantly feeding your plants, if that's what you need that plant to do, if you need it to grow, you're feeding it. If you're feeding it, then 
small applications on the soil, there's nothing wrong with that. It'll, it'll work wonders uh, for bumping the growth of those plants. And, the, and as soon as you make that application, if it's been a while since you've applied, you're going to see a change in the dark green color of the plant itself. When I'm in some, uh, some of the, uh, <laughs> some foreign countries that I can think of, uh, and I'm talking to orchard managers or the owners uh, back in those areas, I'm surprised at how many of them don't look at their plants. So I, I remember uh, a cherry producer in uh, Central Asia one time, he asked me uh, why he had to be pruning so much, taking so much out of his plants every winter. And I said, the reason you're doing that is because you're applying so much nitrogen fertilizer. I said, where are you getting your recommendations? And of course, it's from the local, the local uh, agronomist is making the recommendations through some book or table that he has in front of him. And you can't do that. <clears throat> you, you can do it to some extent, but really you've got to, to take ownership and look at the plants themselves and make that decision. Now, when we're talking about vegetables, let me get something in here. When we're trying to push uh, growth, we've got to be very careful. If we're expecting flower production or fruit produced from those flowers, like tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, things like that, okra, will want to go ahead and, and stop, maybe make that initial nitrogen application along with a, a lot of phosphorus and uh, applications to get rooting going and flower production, but then we're going to hold off until we start to see flowers. So when we're pushing growth and we're adding nitrogen, we're really telling the plant we want more of what you're doing. And then in the case of those that produce flowers and then finally fruit, that may not be the case. We might want to hold off on nitrogen applications and until we see it doing what we want and then go ahead and start in again with some small applications of nitrogen to, to, to cause it to, to do what it's doing already, to do more of what it's doing. Another thing that we can look for when we're talking to our plants is um, the growth itself. I talked about that. If we want to slow down growth of fruit trees, for instance, or landscape plants, and they're getting as tall as we want them to, well, then we're going to reduce the amount of fertilizer that we apply. If we apply more fertilizer, then it's going to grow more. Typically on most landscape plants and, and fruit trees, a single application of a fertilizer in the spring of the year is enough to for fruit production, for flower production, for everything that that plant is going to do. Then don't do any more. And if, if the amount of growth from last year is not very much, then maybe you want to increase the amount of fertilizer you're putting down. The, the opposite is true. If you're getting a lot of growth, don't revel and say, gosh, look what a good gardener I am. I'm, I'm getting all this growth off of my trees and shrubs. Maybe you want to cut back because that nitrogen is pushing new flower growth, excuse me, new leaf growth, new stem growth, and maybe we don't want as much. Maybe we don't want as much as we're putting down. So when plants start to go into flower production and fruit production, we typically shift the fertilizer away from nitrogen, and we shift it more in a high phosphorus, high potassium 
um, fertilizer if we're going to make any applications at all. So if we're splitting the fertilizer application, let's say on fruit trees, if they're going to be flowering and fruiting early in the season, then maybe we need to put down a, an application of high nitrogen and even higher phosphorus as to promote flowering and fruiting. And then if we want to it to continue to grow even more, then we'll just focus on, on a nitrogen application. Okay, So there's other things that you can look at too in plants. Uh, the leaf thickness. If uh, the leaf thickness typically is telling me, if, if for instance you want the leaves to be thinner, uh, let's say you're growing uh, vegetables, leafy vegetables, and the leafy vegetables are getting, aren't as tender as you want them to be. You want to increase the tenderness of those leafy greens. Well then, we might want to decrease the amount of sunlight, the sunlight intensity. And in that case, we maybe want to cover that area with about 30% shade. Not a lot of shade, but a little bit of shade just to decrease the amount of direct sunlight that's on those leaves. And we're going to see them becoming more soft and succulent. It's also going to change the internal chemistry of those leaves as well. And we're going to, by decreasing the amount of light and heat in on those crops, we're going to see a decrease or an increase in the sugar production in a unit area of growth. So if the leaf is growing more because it's thinner, if it's expanding larger, then we're going to see an increase in the, in the sugar concentration, the sweeter concentration, and we're going to see a decrease in possibly some of those things that maybe make them a little bit more bitter. And that could be a high light intensity or high temperatures, that kind of a thing. So by manipulating the environment that they're growing, we can manipulate uh, the leaf thickness as well. That's not so important if we're growing fruit trees or landscape trees and we don't care about the leaf thickness, then it is what it is. And if, if there's a high light intensity, there are, the leaves are going to be thicker. They're going to have a, a thicker waxy layer on the outside, a, a thicker cute, cute, cuteness layer on the outside, and those leaves will be tougher. Yeah, so they'll withstand some of the winds, some of the intense sunlight in in an orchard. <clears throat> um, yellowing. Yellowing can indicate several things uh, on plants. It could in indicate in our soils, in our desert soils, uh, a lack of uh, primarily uh, iron fertilizer, which uh, can happen in alkaline soils in our desert high pH alkaline soils. It could also indicate possibly a manganese deficiency, most likely not zinc, but those are the three biggies in high alkaline pH, high pH alkaline soils, desert soils, uh, is uh, iron, manganese, and zinc. We typically won't see zinc causing any color problems. It's possible depending upon the plant, but typically we don't see that. I would say 90% of the time it's usually an iron-related issue more than even a manganese issue. But keep that in mind. Uh, and if, we, if we're growing plants that are always subject to yellowing as they're growing because of the soil alkalinity or the soil pH, then maybe we need to make an application, an iron application early in the season so that the iron is there. 
Also, we need to play, pay close attention to our watering. And iron, uh, yellowing of plants can also indicate that we're watering too often. Usually if we're watering less often, but we're watering deeply with each application, we don't get the yellowing. Yellowing can also occur from a high light intensity during the sun, uh, summer. It can also happen from cold temperatures during the wintertime. We'll see bronzing or yellowing on citrus, for instance, in the Las Vegas Valley when temperatures get really, really low. And if they get low enough, we're going to see leaf drop. And if they get even lower, then we see branch dieback in the citrus. But typically, yellowing or bronzing can indicate that. It, yellowing can indicate typically on palms. Palms, like lawns and grasses, uh, can handle quite a bit of water in the soil, but they can't handle a swamp. And oftentimes in yellowing of palms and uh, in palms, we see that yellowing telling us that we need to cut back on the water if, if water is an issue, if we're keeping wet soils there. Or maybe we need to bump up the organic content of that soil. Maybe we need to pull, if it's got rock on the surface, maybe we need to pull the rock back and get something on there that's going with some compost and something that's going to decay to add organics to that soil to help those particular plants grow in those types of soils. That's a possibility. So yellowing can, can, occur. It can occur as well. Sometimes we'll grow plants that will have a negative effect on other plants. For instance, growing lavender around grapevines can cause the grapevines to start to uh, suffer, to start not growing as, as much as we'd like them to grow. Uh, that can cause them to begin to falter. Uh, weeds, if we're growing plants with weeds in them, a lot of the weeds really release uh, allelochemicals. It's a form that used to be questioned by a lot of scientists called allelopathy. It's, it's really quite proven now that a lot of plants release other chemicals that have an effect on the, on, the, on the plants that are around them. Basically, I say they're talking to them. They're talking to other plants. They're fighting with them, uh, if you want to put it that way. But we'll have weeds that can suppress growth of other plants, and that's why they can be so pernicious, such a problem. It's always a good idea to keep the weeds out of your vegetable patch and other things that they can compete with. Even weeds in orchards and landscape plantings can affect the growth of those trees and shrubs that we're trying to, to get into good health. So we have to be careful there. I remember a study years ago that was done uh, where they allowed Bermuda grass to grow at the base of trees and then they kept the Bermuda grass uh, away from the trees about three or four feet. And they looked at the difference and they looked at the branch angles and this happened to be in peach in a peach orchard. And they looked at the branch angles when Bermuda grass was growing versus when it was not growing at the base, and it was affecting the branch angles. In other words, the trees that had Bermuda grass growing underneath it were more narrow. Their branch angles were were less severe. They were not they were not uh, they were not fully spread out. They were more upright in their growth, and so plants can. Why then? Well, because the Bermuda grass would benefit, right? Would benefit, and they have benefited in the past, and they've bred and they've produced seed in Bermuda grass that has been successful in causing plants to have a narrow crotch angle, 
to have a more narrow growth so that more sunlight gets through to that Bermuda grass and it's more successful in its environment. Uh, so plants can talk to each other through allelopathic ways as well. So, and that reminds me, if you have an orchard or fruit trees, just make sure that you keep all grasses, all plants uh, away from those trees, at least three feet away from the trunk of those trees. But also to check on the security of plants in the ground, trees and shrubs. Make sure that they're solid. Make sure that when they're planted, they were planted correctly. They weren't planted too deep because that can affect how they move in the ground and how securely they're attached to the ground. And so check on those as well. Uh, when, <clears throat> if we're growing shrubs, oftentimes in five, from planting them from five gallon containers, they oftentimes don't need any staking. Uh, but on trees, if they're bare root, they're going to need to be staked for one season on it. But uh, usually the container stuff, if it's small enough, in the containers, they don't need to be staked oftentimes, if they're planted correctly, and if the soil is amended. We put the proper amendments in that soil. So anyway, uh, let, the, let the plants talk to you. In other words, observe them. Don't just read it from a book. Don't just watch a YouTube video. Don't just listen to me and tell you when to fertilize and how much to apply. Don't do that, because fertilizer bags are filled with that information. And if you want plants that respond to you, then you're going to have to give them those things that they need when they need it. Okay? Agreed? All right. Well, I think I hear that music, and it's time to say goodbye. So uh, with that, have a great growing season, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Learn more about desert horticulture on my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, extreme horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on desert horticulture. Google or search for Bob Morris on Eventbrite.